to the COO Roundtable, powered by PFI Advisors. Here's your host, Matt Sonnen. Welcome, everyone, to episode 21 of the COO Roundtable. We have two great guests today that I've really enjoyed getting to know on both a professional and personal level. So this is going to be a fun conversation. I say this is a compliment, but one of the reasons I like both of these gentlemen is the fact that they are both practice management nerds like myself. They both think deeply about organizational structure, client service, and most importantly, how professional management can serve their staff and coworkers to better grow their businesses. So I'm very excited to talk to both of them today. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Chris Keller, Executive Vice President and Director of Business Services at Benjamin F. Edwards & Company in St. Louis. He's also leader of Edwards Wealth Management, and we're going to talk about both of those in, in his role. Um, but Chris, thanks for being here. Yeah, Matt, thanks for having me. Cool. And uh, joining Chris is Doug Johnson, the newly appointed Chief Operating Officer at Parcion Private Wealth in Seattle. Prior to Parcion, I knew Doug from his days at Ensemble Practice, working along Philip Palaviv. Doug, I'm excited to have you here today. Hey, Matt, thank you, and I look forward to this conversation. So, Chris, I'm going to go to you first. Why don't you tell us about the firm? There's a very long history there, and then the initiative that you're heading up. Yeah. So, our firm, we opened our doors in 2008 and started adding advisors in 2009, but the Edwards name goes back 130-plus years to A.G. Edwards. We are headquartered in St. Louis, but we have offices all over the country, and we're focused primarily on three lines of business. We've got a full-service, employee-based wealth management company. We have also an affiliation platform that offers core services to independently owned advisory businesses, and that's the Edwards Wealth Management that you mentioned there in the beginning. And then we have a sell-side investment bank. In total, we have uh, more than 600 employees and advisor affiliates, and we manage about $27 billion in assets. Like I said, there's a lot going on there, so we'll unpack a lot of that. So, Doug, give us an overview of Parcion. Sure. Parcion does not have the beautiful history that Edwards has. We formed last October, October 2019, as a breakaway out of a warehouse locally here in the Northwest. Terry Cook, our founder, was in the warehouse world since, I think, 1993 or so, so he's got a long history in it. We are 16 employees strong at the moment with a couple of interns running around for a couple more weeks before they go back to school. We have about $1.2 billion under management, and we, we focus on business owners, first-generation wealth creators is what we call them, typically prior to a wealth event before they sell their business. And then, Doug, this is not your first COO role in the RA industry, and I also mentioned you had a very successful role as an RA consultant. So walk us through your background and how you wound up joining forces with Terry. Yes. As we were prepping for this call, I did mention I love this question because all of us in the operations side, as you always say, is, you know, we didn't wake up one day and say, oh, I want to have that role as a kid. I actually am a, a Central California guy. I grew up down there in Central California. I graduated from a school you're familiar with, Matt. I think it's called UCLA. Uh, back in, <laughs> right on. <laughs> go Bruins. And then uh, moved to Seattle immediately after graduation, but realized I needed more business background, went back to school and got an MBA shortly after I moved to Seattle. And then after a number of different starts and stops in different industries, I was pulled into the advisory world in 1999, actually. We were going to have our first kid, and I had been in consulting prior to that and traveling a lot. So a friend of mine said, hey, come join our firm, and we'll buy out our founder or the founder of the firm. And I thought that was a great opportunity. I mapped out the business plan and the buyout and got over there, got licensed. And about six or eight months into it, we made the proposal, and the individual did not want to sell. <laughs> so that 
that uh, you know turned into a, an interesting situation as my friend left and started started a new firm, and then I followed him over there. And the timing was impeccable, March of 2000, and I believe the peak was March 10th, 2000. My son was born March 11th, 2000. So as you can imagine, there was some fun times there. But I just through the market crash and what have you, I ended up you know, running the operations side of the business, small RIA, and we built it back up. Was there about 10 years and then started another RIA here in town with a couple of breakaway advisors. Did that for a couple of years and then became a consultant again with the Ensemble Practice. And you mentioned Philip Palavev, who started the Ensemble Practice and wrote the book, The Ensemble Practice. I spent nearly six years there. And then Terry here at Parsiung Private Wealth had reached out a couple of years ago to me. He was talking about breaking away. We we discussed it a bit and then he ended up doing it finally last year. And once they launched, I think they realized in short order that they needed somebody that had some experience on the RIA side to help run the business operations side. They posted the position and here I am today. Every once in a while on these podcasts, I scream out, shameless plug, shameless plug. <laughs> you talked <laughs> about your <laughs> you talked about your experience of you got in place at an RA, had a great plan, and then the owner didn't want to sell. We wrote, I had to pull it up while you were talking. March 17th, 2019, we wrote a, an article on our website, Why Professional Management Fails for RIAs. And we go, that was one of the topics that we talked about. It's more common than anyone wants to admit, but that happens quite often. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Chris, when I first reached out to you and asked you to be a guest on the podcast, you immediately said, well, I'd love to, but I'm not a chief operating officer. And my response to you was, well, that's true, but have you read your LinkedIn bio recently? <laughs> um, yeah. Your bio says, and I'm going to read it because it's perfect. It's exactly what we talk about on this podcast all the time. As director of business services, our team's purpose is to serve our nearly 300 advisors and their clients and to make it easier for them to do business together. We are responsible for much of our shared back office and middle office, including client service, business operations, TAMP services, financial modeling, and technology. So like I said, that, that's perfect. That's everything we, we discussed. So title or not, you are the perfect guest. So um, why don't you walk us through your background and how you ended up in this role that's so perfectly designed for our podcast? <laughs> Yeah, happy to. That's that's a lot of responsibility. I think I need to change my LinkedIn profile. But um, <laughs> the journey has been fun, man. You know, I've been here since '09 at Edwards, and I initially started as a consultant here. And my assignment then was to help round out the technology platform and the support strategy. The firm had some missed starts at the beginning early on that was jeopardizing our, their ability to grow and the overall stability of the firm. So I completed that assignment and one of my recommendations in that assignment was that they hire somebody to come in and professionally oversee as an employee and as an executive, the technology and service for the organization. I went so far as to recommend who I thought was the ideal candidate and it was not me. I recommended somebody else that I had worked with prior. And when that didn't work out, Tad Edwards, our founder and CEO, walked into my office that they had lent me while I was there and asked me if I would take the role. It was not an instant yes. It actually took me and to a lesser degree, I guess, my family a while to get comfortable with joining what was then this startup company in this incredibly competitive and complex industry, but I ultimately agreed to join. 
And while this wasn't on my career radar, what I tell people is that I ultimately decided to join because of FOMO, fear of missing out. And so that drove me here. Since then, though, in the 10 plus years I've been here, the role has evolved to what you've just read there on my LinkedIn profile. And it's really a commitment by our organization to shape the role with what's happening in our industry. So as you've said, I'm now accountable for most of the back and middle office, but that also includes Edwards Wealth Management, which is our enterprise RIA. You're going to get a barrage of so-and-so clicked on your profile, so-and-so clicked, because all of our listeners are going to go steal your bio. (laughs) Uh, Bring it on. I'm sure I plagiarized it from somebody else, so they're welcome to plagiarize it from me. (laughs) So as as you're both discussing the, the firms that you're at, there's that long legacy and the newness component to both of them. So Chris, talk about the Benjamin Edwards brand being 130 years old but there's still a lot of newness to your affiliate platform, et cetera. So the question I have for you is, has there been a lot of legacy thinking that you've had to battle through and overcome uh, as you've looked to launch this new model inside the firm? Has there been legacy thinking? Yeah, yeah, without question. I actually think it's in our human nature to rely on what's worked for us previously. You know, this is in our personal lives or our professional lives. As a company, we had some awesome success or have had awesome success when taking the best of the predecessor firm and implementing it here at this firm. But a lot's changed in 10 plus years. I mean, we're talking about a time where before the iPhone didn't exist or FINRA wasn't a thing. So we've evolved where it was important to do so. And we've been willing to work to make sure that we stay aligned with the trends in the industry. At a high level, I think a firm like ours can choose to differentiate on one of three things, or maybe all three things, but I'm not sure that's possible. Products and investment solutions, or our tools and tech, or our service. The predecessor firm worked to differentiate on all three. We've chosen to focus on service as our differentiator and have chosen to outsource everything else where it makes sense to do so. As you've noted here, in 2019, we added this affiliation model called Edwards Wealth Management. It's an enterprise RIA. Again, we're offering the core services that we've built out in our 10 plus years. We're bundling those and offering those to independent business owners, advisory business owners who want to focus as much of their time on their clients and as little of their time as possible on operating a back or middle office. I can assure you this is not at all what our original model looked like, but it's where we see the puck going in our industry, so to speak. And we've been able to adapt. As a firm, Though, man, our our core, we are a firm that believes that how you treat people is really important and our values run deep and they guide us and that has not changed and that will not change. Great. Doug, I have a similar question to you. Arcean launched less than a year ago, but at the same time, Terry Cook's career dates back to the early 90s inside the wirehouse world. So what challenges have you had? I mean, that's your main job bringing you in is, is moving this business into the RIA model. So what challenges has that brought up for you? Great question. I think that having a team that exits a warehouse situation, there's a lot of challenges that they face that they're not aware of. Anything from technology to compliance to, you know, how do you set up payroll? One of the things that is ingrained in in the warehouse is it's very advisor centric. So you've got this pyramid essentially underneath the lead advisor and he might build a team with other advisors, but everything runs through, you know, a single rep code to get a higher payout or what have you. Here at Parcion, when I landed here in early May, one of the things that I'm working feverishly on is to break down that mentality of it's all about the lead advisor. And what we want to do is elevate the other advisors in the room so that they 
can go out and harvest new clients, if you will, by themselves without relying on our founder. And so getting away from, from terms like book of business and my clients and those sorts of things have been really challenging, but it is refreshing to see we're moving that, that boulder out of the way, if you will. That's one of the big challenges. And the other is when they broke away, and you talk about it a lot on these podcasts, is the amount of HR work that our role has to undertake. And so there's a lot of stuff around that that I'm working on, you know, benefit plans, readjusting those, realigning things into what's happening in the real world outside of the big wirehouse type thing. So there's a lot of those challenges that I'm working through at the moment. One of the topics that I love bringing up on this podcast often is the need for professional management at RIAs. And it's a lot of what you just talked about. Dating back to your time at the ensemble practice, I know you've done work around pinpointing exactly when RIAs hit that inflection point that they need to grow from a collection of advisors, just sort of sharing some back office resources to actually bringing someone in like yourself to handle the business side of things and think through the benefits packages and not just the tech stack, but roles and responsibilities, et cetera. So can you talk to that a little bit? Yes. Pinpointing is, uh, you use the word pinpointing there in your question of, of when it's time. And it's not an exact science, but when I was on the consulting side, we saw lots of firms that they would hit kind of a ceiling, if you will, on, on their ability to grow. And it's really limited by the founding partners or advisors of these firms. They get up to, we all only have a certain number of hours in the day that we can you know, manage our work life and still maintain a home life as well or a personal life. And what we saw a lot of times was around the, you know, we can parse it out in revenue or AUM. I would say revenue wise, somewhere between three and $5 million in revenue, the founder or de facto CEO of the firm is out of bandwidth to handle a lot of the operational and compliance and HR stuff. And so at that point, they're reaching maximum capacity, growth stalls out a little bit, and they need to hand off some of these many, many plates they, they're trying to keep in the air. And when they finally make that decision, it's going to cost them a little bit in the first year or so, or maybe two years uh, out of pocket. They're giving up something, but what they're gaining is hours in the day that they can then go out and create new relationships with new clients and, and bring in new assets. If we were to pinpoint it, I would say it's right in that range, you know, maybe $350, $400 million up to somewhere around five to $600. I've seen them add their first professional manager. Just depends on their partnership organization and structure and how they divvied up the roles, but that's really where they need to bring in that professional manager, what we used to see. And, and you know, they are very happy to have somebody like Chris or myself on their team. I mean, you mentioned it is a moving target and it's hard to, I did set you up unfairly to <laughs> say so you pinpoint the exact time, the exact moment. But when I get the question, I, a lot of times it's asked what AUM, a lot of times it's asked what revenue, a lot of other times it's, well, how many clients should each advisor be servicing? At what time did, you know, do we need to bring on another advisor and or bring on someone to take other things off of the advisor's plates? And it really just comes down to, well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So if you're surviving, <laughs> but the, the other complexity with, with answering that question, is well, what type of clients do you have? How complex are they? And how often are they on the phone? So some advisors are going to max out at 47 clients and others are going to not max out until 200. So it is a, a moving target and there's a lot of nuance to it. But I think, I think your numbers at a high level, not taking into consideration all these other nuance, I think those numbers are exactly right. So Chris, you've talked about, you mentioned earlier, the complexity of our business in this day and age. What do you see as the true value professional management brings to the wealth management space? 
I love the way Doug talked there about how to really measure it and at what point do you go more professionally managed. I think we've all heard Mark Tabersian say an advisor can support roughly 80 client relationships. The ensemble practice addressed this head on as well. But from Go, we've been an enterprise designed to take on as much of the business operations, quote unquote, as possible. We want to allow the advisor to scale better and to key in on, on their clients. And, you know, personally, I feel like this is as important or critical as ever or as complicated as ever. If you really think about it, you're, you're managing a client practice, you're running an office, you're handling HR, which is particularly hard in a COVID world. You're supporting technology, you're keeping pace with reg, you're handling information security, you're handling business continuity. I mean, there is a lot and the list just seems to keep going and going and getting longer. This is a full-time job many times over. And if it's not handled correctly, you know, it takes away from the ability to serve client. And at the, at the same time that's happening, client expectations are on the rise. In many cases, advisors are now seen as the family CFO or the life coach. This is way too much for one person or a small team to focus on and do it well. I think you can do a few things really well, but if you have to do a bunch of things, you're not going to do any of those things very well at all. And so we see where it's really important that advisors can lean on a, on a team or a back office to help them carry this ever-growing load. And, and one piece we, we haven't even talked about, which is I'm, I will say I'm guilty of it, not necessarily you guys, but just think about the revenue number and how much, you know, if I take this off my plate, how many extra clients can I serve? And there's also just the enjoyment of your job, right? <laughs> take away a lot of the business administration from the advisor and they get to spend 100% of their time focused on clients and prospects and, and what they really got into the business for. They enjoy their job more. Just, a, just that fact is they're enjoying it more is going to lead to, you would think is going to lead to business growth as well. Cause they're, they're a lot more excited to get to the office every day. Yeah. That's the bet, right? That's the choice. Exactly. So for both of you, a big piece in evolving your businesses and pushing them forward has been the design and the implementation of a state-of-the-art technology stack that can best serve your clients and the advisors. I know both of you have been instrumental in vendor due diligence and integrating these disparate systems into one unified platform. So Doug, I'm gonna to go to you first. What hurdles have you encountered with regard to the technology stack? Great question, Matt. I, as I mentioned before, you know, I'm relatively new here. And when they broke out of the wirehouse, they didn't have to worry about the tech stack. When you're inside a wirehouse, it's all kind of provided for you. And a lot of it is custom to that particular firm. So when they broke away, they, you know, had to go shopping and pick some CRM, a portfolio management tool, trading system, just even basic, you know, office. Are we using PCs? Are we use an Apple, that sort of thing. And they went through the whole thing. I got here and I realized that as with most software vendors, they overpromise and underdeliver. And so I've been going through each of the systems we have that we've that we're paying for and some I'm cutting out others I'm getting re-engaged with them and doing more training because when they first broke away that was you know the first three four months was trying to transition clients over so you have revenue coming in the door and these software vendors will give you you know oh we're going to train you up for the first 90 days well nobody really had time to train up and so now we've re-engaged them and, and we're doing a reset and we're getting back up to speed and it's really come around I have to be honest I have eliminated a couple things and a couple of our systems because I felt like we weren't a utilizing it and did it really fit into what we're trying to do with our service for our clients that's been challenging. I probably should have taken a couple of contract law courses in college so I can understand these contracts a little better and how to get out of them. But yeah, it's been a challenge, but we are making progress and I'm excited for the future. Don't take contract law, just hire PFI. Okay. <laughs> I'll start screaming again. Shameless plug, shameless plug. Yeah. 
<laughs> but that is a, a very, very common problem during transition. Whenever a, a team leaves a wirehouse or IBD, whatever, but when, as they're establishing their firm, rightfully so that well, 100% of their attention is, I just need to move the existing clients. Just everybody leave me alone. I don't have time for training on the financial planning tool. I don't have time for training on our client portal. I don't have time for training. They do need some training on the custodian because that is so integral to the transition of the assets. But a lot of the, hey, how do I run an RIA just gets pushed to the side. And so that it's usually kind of about four months post launch of the firm is when everybody kind of can take that collective breath and look up and say, okay, who knows how to work our systems? <laughs> nobody, nobody can raise their hand at that point. So we do see that a lot. And it's a, it's a big challenge to try to focus on client transition and learn the tech stack all at the same time. So Chris, I know in terms of building out that tech stack, you have some battle wounds in this area. What advice do you have for our listeners when it comes to choosing vendors that, that are going to fill out that technology back office? Yeah, I, I love this topic. It's so fun to kind of work through this. We decided at the beginning that we were not a technology firm, and therefore it made sense to outsource or license third-party solutions that were going to be able to do it much better than we would. But I'll tell you, we were naive in our thinking because not being a firm that builds out a proprietary technology stack is not the same as saying we aren't a technology firm. I mean, just like everybody else, we're caught up in an arms race. We have a heavy emphasis on delivering a great experience to our advisors and their clients. Our, our tech stack, I can just name some names. These are well-known providers, Salesforce for CRM, but also Salesforce as a platform, Orion, Blaze, Money Guide Pro, to name a few. And we have a decent-sized team focused on adoption, readiness, and support of these solutions. And we have another pretty decent sized team focused on customizing and integrating these solutions. I mean, you guys know this, the dirty truth is that out of the box is rarely good enough. A client or advisor does not want to view each of these as disparate interfaces. For example, they want to be able to enter information into a single place. And so we've integrated Salesforce with Orion and our custodian. We've also built a custom solution on Salesforce where you can now open a new account digitally and have it flow right through to the custodian. And that's not available out of the box. You know, tying all of these solutions together has been a huge commitment for us. And I frankly don't see how we could approach it the way that we do and be open architecture to technology of all shapes and sizes. And so we don't claim or really have an interest at all in being quote unquote open architecture. You know, we have a standard stack that we're investing in heavily and our advisors use this standard stack and we see this as a key part of our value prop. So you mentioned the big word adoption. Do you guys have any suggestions on, because this is another very common problem. We're spending all, you know, the, the company, the, the RIA says we're spending a ton of money on technology. And when I walk around the office and ask people, when's the last time you logged in? <laughs> you get a lot of blank stares. Any recommendations on how to drive adoption for these systems? The only trick that we have, the only thing that we've seen that's worked is you bury certain capabilities in these different solutions that are mandated. <laughs> and so when you have to use it, you have 100% adoption. Yeah, right. I think that's right. Did you have any suggestions for any free advice for us? What I would say for adoption, it's very hard. You have to know your people intimately well and what drives them. But I think what you said is the quickest way is you make it 100% mandatory. So one example I'll give is client calls in, says I need $75,000 raised. 
the firm has started to say, hey, all trade requests need to be done through the CRM. You need to send a task to the trading team. But that's a new initiative at the firm. So what normally happens when it's a new initiative is either it's still scribbled on a sticky and brought over to the trader or an email is sent. And so you just eventually say, well, yeah, that trade never went in today because I'm checking Salesforce. <laughs> you do that one time and that advisor is not going to make that mistake a second time. So you just have to say if there's no, if you're not using it, nothing's getting done. It's harsh, but that's the quickest way to, to get there is you just make it 100% mandatory. In the politest way possible. Yes, yeah. correct. <laughs> of course, always. <laughs> always. So you mentioned people, and, and so if we think about the conversation we're having and we think about it kind of linearly in terms of building an RIA, so we've just got the technology in place. Now we need the people to leverage that technology to provide the service to the client. And I always say the goal of every RIA is to provide top-notch service to an ever-increasing client base. So you want the number of clients to increase, but you're going to need to use people and technology to ensure that revenue is growing, but there's no drop in client service. So Chris, you used the phrase earlier, service as a differentiator. So talk to us a little bit about that, service as a differentiator. It's a conscious choice that we've made. Our firm is our advisors, and it's not the other way around. The clients are theirs, and our value proposition is to help them help their clients. And I know this sounds cliche and you hear it all the time, but it really is that easy for us. We're always looking for different ways to find an edge in how we serve our advisors today. And so like, for example, we've recently added out of our home office, what we call our concierge desk. It's a single phone number to visualize it. Think of it as an easy button. It's one place to call to get wherever you need to be to have your needs met. Separately, or in addition to that, every person in a service role at Edwards is a simple four-digit dial away. All employees, we're all aligned and unified in our mission. Being a distributed organization, I mentioned we've got offices all over the country. Phones or email are how we've traditionally collaborated with each other, but we've also recently implemented Microsoft Teams, and that has really enhanced the face-to-face -face relationships between our back office and our advisors. And I think What's most important is we want them to know who they're working with and trust that what they need will get done. Great. Doug, you mentioned the wirehouses have the pyramid model, right? The advisors at the tip of the pyramid. And I know one of the big tasks on your plate is building a brand and a scalable firm around Terry so that it's not just that pyramid. Can you talk to some of the things you've done to, to accomplish that? We are, as I mentioned earlier, you know, trying to break down that mentality and think more of it as a firm. And so we're really going to market with, with our brand, Parsi on Private Wealth. And part of it is not only sticking a, a sign on the wall and printing up some nice business cards and getting a nice landing page on your website, but it's also training internally here on how we market the firm as a group. And so we're all speaking the same language, if you will. And so one of the things we're doing just recently implemented is Terry's going out on prospecting meetings or calls. Now it's mostly calls because of what's going on in the environment today, but calls and Zoom calls and things. We are having some of the uh, other advisors that are supporting him actually on those calls as well and participating in, in providing some input. But they're also learning from Terry and how he does it and how he probes for information from the prospect and how it's a consultative process to where he's, by the end of the call, is already helping them. And so they're learning those skills, which is great because it's back in the days of the wirehouse, which was, here's a phone book, if anybody remembers a phone book, but here's a phone book dial for dollars. And so we're getting away from that mentality to where we're going to coach you on how to go about this process. And we really nurture a number of COIs in the area. 
Terry's got long-standing relationships with different firms, CPAs, state planning attorneys, M&A firms, that sort of thing, because our target is business owners, you know, prior to a transition. So bringing those younger advisors along with him to those meetings with COIs or with prospects as well is helping them gain the confidence and the skills they need to help grow the company as a whole as opposed to one book of business of it. And lastly, to wrap up, uh, we can't have any discussion around RA growth without a healthy debate <laughs> around inorganic versus organic growth. Um, Chris, we've touched on it already in, in a lot of your answers, but Tell us why advisors would want to join Edwards. What are you doing in your role specifically to compel advisors to join the firm? Happy to. We are and we continue to be a growth-minded firm and we're you know, looking to grow by adding employee advisors and independent advisory businesses alike. Certainly the current conditions that we're all living under have changed how we connect with these advisors. The pandemic has something to do with that, but I also feel like so many firms are kind of sounding the same to me. You know, any advisor who's considering a change really has their work cut out for them when trying to figure out the best destination for them. And, you know, let's call it what it is. This, this is an important decision for them. I mean, because most times this is about their legacy and their livelihood. You know, as, as far as why would advisors want to join us? Uh, well, you know, like all our firms, you know, we're going to offer you a platform that addresses the regulatory needs and the operational needs and the technology needs that most advisors could never accomplish on their own. But intangibly, the culture and the values of our firm really is what makes us different. And whether it's our firm or someone else, we believe that an advisor should be able to operate free of the distraction that comes with not being able to trust your business partner. You know, we, we expect that you will trust us to do what we say we're going to do and that you will trust us to do it well. And our values may not be for everyone, but they're in everything we do. You, you talk about the culture and values clearly is the differentiator. I mean, you talk about just sort of the table stakes of what you need to be offering. And it is amazing. There are so many people that, that are calling themselves buyers uh, right now but they don't even have the table stakes in place. <laughs> so yeah. it, it's, you just sort of brushed over it. Like, well, of course we do these things, but there, there's a lot of people out there that, that aren't even offering a, a, an infrastructure of any kind. They're just sort of saying, come here and then we'll build it. So and it, it's confusing and it's, it's, no, it's very noisy. Yeah. So Doug, having, having just completed the transition of the clients, we talked about this a little bit, you've finished the client transition from the former firm. Is there a goal to have other advisors joining Parcion in the near future? I think when Terry set out to break away, he had a, a vision for Parsian and where it could go. And I think, you know, you both just, just talked about culture and, and how important that is for, you know, advisors joining. I think we're in that kind of um, period of, of, of growth where we're still determining our culture. It's not quite solidified yet. I think they had a great culture at the warehouse, but over here, you know, there's some new, new faces. I'm one of them, but we have a couple new other hires. And so the culture is still kind of working itself out. One of the things that's interesting is that in the warehouse situation, everybody was in a defined kind of box or role. And so I grew up in this industry where it was always a small firm and it was, you know, didn't matter what your title was. Everybody did kind of everything chipped in and, and pulled the boat the same direction. And so we're trying to get people to think that way and think like, you know, even though they may not be owners, but think like owners and, and what is the best for the business. And so before we go out and, and try to attract other advisors to join us or join our platform, I think we've really got to make sure our culture is defined here. And quite honestly, we've 
Terry had this vision, and, and I think so far it's it's been spot on, the fact that once he left there, it would open up or free him from, okay, he's just like any other broker at a wirehouse. And so our pipeline has been filling up quite rapidly this year, uh, even since I've gotten here. I mean, it's it's been amazing. New clients coming through the door, new prospects and leads and everything. So I think once we get reallocation, we, we do have to do some realignment on which clients are going to be serviced by which teams here. And once we get that, and you know, work through our pipeline. I think we're going to stay laser focused on our target client. And if we stumble across somebody who's who's in our same space and maybe not geographically in the same space, that might present an opportunity. But I don't foresee that for at least 12 to 24 months from now. Yep. Get the foundation built first. I think that's that's exactly. good advice. Yeah. Well, you guys are awesome. I knew this was going to be a, a fun conversation. And. Uh, Chris was very nervous that his four boys who are homeschooling right now were going to wind up in a loud wrestling match in the background. <laughs> but you pulled it off, Chris. I, we didn't hear a thing. So I don't know where well, you, if you're hiding under your, your kitchen table or where, you're, where you recorded this, but you did great. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm back in our corporate office for the first time in a while. That's the only way to find peace. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Well, I know the listeners got a lot from this discussion. So, um, again, I thank you both for being here today. Uh, thank you, Doug. This is great. Thanks, man. Thank you, Matt, and thanks, Chris. This was great. Well, thanks. Uh, that's a wrap on episode 21. We have something exciting for our next episode, 22. We're going to be recording live at Bob Barris's Insiders Forum. He's doing the conference virtual this year, of course, so it'll be over Zoom. But we're recording during one of the sessions on October 5th at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 Eastern. I've never done the podcast over video before, and you will all <laughs> you will all see why, <laughs> uh, but it, it's going to be fun. So uh, in the meantime, stay safe, everyone, and we will talk to you soon.